0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's June the 23rd, 2021, in California. COVID seems to be over here. We're allowed to go out again, we don't have to wear our masks. Um, death rates are falling dramatically, the news is good, the sun is shining in San Francisco, and I guess I should feel cheerful, which actually I do, to be honest. Um, But external, internal um, symmetries don't always work. Just because the news outside is good shouldn't necessarily cheer us up. Uh, mental illness or mental well-being and the state of the world aren't always connected my guest today uh, has written a book about mental illness and she begins with um i wouldn't call it necessarily a, a shocking story but a story that's probably all too typical of people suffering from mental illness let me uh read the story first and then i'll introduce her um And she writes uh, in her introduction, let me paint a picture of an idyllic life. It's my life, in fact, when I was 20 in the summer after my second year at university. I was studying psychology, which I found fascinating. I just started going out with my boyfriend, another student, and I was falling in love. I had a great summer job as a swimming teacher. I was close to my parents and my brother. I had a lovely bunch of friends, both at university and at home. From the outside, my life that summer was incredibly easy hopeful. But on the inside, I was unraveling. You can imagine what's to come. Um, and, 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 and she writes, um, I was in Turkey when everything came undone on the first night of a week-long holiday with my three best friends. The problem had been brewing for a while. I'd been feeling low for months. And m- but on that holiday, a switch flicked in my head and I suddenly became much, much worse. Walking back to our apartment after a day at the beach, seemingly out of nowhere, I began to feel like I couldn't breathe. My thoughts became dark and opaque. Um, we found a doctor and he said to me in broken English, perplexed, why are you crying? Uh, I guess why are you crying might be in, in some ways the the subtext for a book, um, by my guest today, Lucy Fox. Losing our mind: Why, uh, What mental illness really is. Uh, Lucy, that's um, enough of enough of me. More of you. Um, your book isn't about yourself. You make it clear it's not a, an autobiography of your own mental condition, but you you choose to begin with that. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience of what it actually felt like to on the one hand rationally know that you had every reason to be cheerful and on the other to be deeply depressed
1: well i think it was a very interesting demonstration to me that um mental illness can be quite detached from any external um Problems or difficulties. Exactly what you just said at the beginning. Um, as I progress my way through my academic career and reading the book, I have a much better understanding that mental illness often does occur. Um, you know, in the face of immense stress. But my experience was um, a clear lesson that 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 isn't necessary, and you know that that idea of what have you got to be depressed about is. Um, Uh, is totally the wrong way to think about depression and mental health problems.
0: Uh, Lucy, you're right. When this happened to me in 2008, uh, no one talked about mental illness. The doctors and psychologists I saw told me it was very common and they saw lots of patients with depression and anxiety, especially young people like me. Um, What's the difference? And, and, And there's a lot in this book about it about um, mental illness and depression and anxiety. Are they the same things? Uh, You talk about a continuum uh, between these things.
1: So depression and anxiety are officially distinct mental disorders. There are various different versions of each of them, Um, but you get a lot of overlap. So often if you have one, you're more likely to have the other. Uh, and they are both, uh, as you say, on a continuum, so that you don't get a group of people with anxiety disorders and a group of people who have no anxiety at all. Uh, people throughout the population are kind of on a, on a on a gradually changing spectrum, and I think that is a kind of key piece of information which is being missed out of the public conversation, and it is why I wanted to write this book really, because it, a lot that of the confusion. Share
0: people? Uh, Lucy, sorry to interrupt. Should yeah. that you, you talk about this continuum, many different symptoms of depression, mm. is this something that should um, cheer us up, or you know, excusing the word depress us? Uh, is this something to worry about, or is this something to say, well, th- these things are continuum, and, you, and, and you're on the uh, you're on the good side of it?
1: I suppose if I had to pick between the two, the the idea was to be reassuring to clarify that just because you experience a version of these problems doesn't mean you have a full blown disorder or problem. But I think it was mainly meant to be neutral, just kind of informing um, people of the complexity of the, of the problem. I think this, you know, the nature of mental health and mental illness is far more complicated than, than the sort of the public lead us to believe sometimes.
0: Your book is quite historical, both in terms of your own um, autobiography, although, as I said, it's not an autobiographical book about your own mental state, but also about the history of mental illness. Um, uh, you you asked, particularly in our age of COVID, whether we are in an epidemic. Um, mm. What's your analysis? Not so much of COVID, I do want to come on to COVID later, but perhaps in terms of shall we say, the early 21st century. Are rates of mental illness rising over the last 20 years?
1: So um, reports of mental health problems and mental illnesses are increasing, definitely. So when you ask people in questionnaires, um, you know, how anxious are you? How depressed are you? um, Do you self-harm? There's certainly um, have been lots of reports of increases um but firstly often not as severe as language like epidemic might lead you to believe and secondly what i lay out a lot in the book is that just because you see an increase in questionnaires doesn't necessarily mean that that things on the ground are actually getting worse so they might be getting worse but it might also be that people are just more comfortable talking about it now and that's a good thing so it sort of accidentally inflates the problem but actually it's just that people feel more comfortable talking about it which is good um, but the third kind of more interesting problem that's probably happening in parallel with the other two is that people are now more readily interpreting very mild problems as things that uh, you know we might want to have called um, a symptom of anxiety and depression so I think all of those three things are contributing to this sense that we're in a mental health crisis or epidemic even pre-COVID and it's impossible to kind of completely untangle those those three those three explanations
0: I didn't have a stu- I didn't have the stomach to prepare a slide of the British royal family they're too annoying but um <laughs> they are a, a cultural and social barometer do you think the fact that part of the royal family at least seems to be very transparent, perhaps overtly transparent about their own mental health or illness reflects the, the changing culture surrounding mental illness?
1: Yes, I think they probably reflect it and they're probably causing it to some extent because they have such huge uh, influence. You know, they they set up um, big charity campaigns to do with mental illness here um, and are now talking, um, you know, Prince Harry, especially talking very openly about his own um, mental health Experience. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably slightly circular. They've contributed to it, um, and are, are now kind of feeding off it themselves.
0: What about the impact? We talked a little bit about this of uh, of COVID since uh, in in the last couple of years since uh, since COVID exploded in the world uh, mm-hmm. in March of last year. Uh, There's been all sorts of articles in the media about the impact of COVID on mental health, on isolation. What's your sense of how it's affecting the mental health and the mental um, illness of, of people generally?
1: Well, you're, you're right that the kind of this, the second that it landed, there were these projections about, you know, that there was going to be a second epidemic uh, in terms a second, second pandemic in terms of mental health problems and, and, you know, tsunami of mental health problems, et cetera. Um, what we know so far, it's partly reassuring. I think it's not as bad as a lot of people projected it would be, uh, kind of on average, lots of adults' mental health haven't changed at all. Some people's mental health has improved for all sorts of interesting reasons, um, some it seems that some people who were more vulnerable to start with, particularly in terms of um, people um, in poverty or in more vulnerable uh, economic situations, um, then mental health has been more badly hit. Um, but we don't—we're still in it. I think you know. There's some, we don't really know what the long-term consequences are going to be for mental health.
0: What about anxiety? Um, uh, how? Um... How uh, how is anxiety connected with disorder? Uh, Social anxiety, cultural anxiety, but particularly personal anxiety seems to be something particularly prevalent in young people in in 2021. Um, Is the idea of anxiety an early 21st century concept, Lucy?
1: No, <laughs> I think it's, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the messy thing about anxiety is that it's an emotion um, that we all experience. And just, it's a feeling
0: um, of, I mean, it's way beyond what you experienced in Turkey. It's a feeling of what, of, uh, of, of, of sort of mental insecurity. How would you describe anxiety?
1: Well, yeah, and again, it depends when we talk about anxiety as a kind of transient emotion when you're um, stressed or worried about something, uh, yeah, kind of unpleasant cognitive physiological state of being kind of keyed up. Um, but when that becomes pathological and problematic is when you're experiencing uh, that state all the time and you cannot control it and it becomes overwhelming. Um, yeah, it's more severe, more chronic, Um that it's a continuum but to me those, those two extremes are very different. I know what and um, the kind of temporary emotion of anxiety feels like and I also know what the clinical state of anxiety feels like and they're very different experiences.
0: Uh, you write about the history of what you call social anxiety disorder. Very briefly what is this history in, in medical terms and in broader terms in terms of population
1: well so this is interesting so social anxiety is anxiety related to social situations so being extremely worried about how people judge you um, and what people are thinking about you um that as a concept has has probably existed as long as um you know humans have existed but we've just called it different things uh even within the last kind of century i think it probably would have been called shyness until relatively recently um And then it was um, called social phobia and now it's called social anxiety disorder Um, and the exact parameters of what that uh, what counts um, is changing. But again, again, that's a great example, which is why I use it in the book of something that's actually quite a common phenomenon that lots of people experience. And it's only when you experience it all the time and it becomes debilitating and difficult to control That you should actually start thinking that you have anything sort of wrong with you, or anything that can be treated, rather than just a kind of normal facet of human experience.
0: One of the things I like about uh, your book, Lucy, "Losing Our Minds: What Mental Illness Really Is," it has no particular theory. It's it's a very broad, erudite but readable introduction to all these uh, issues. Um, One of the things you touch on, which I'm curious about, is the differences between men and women when it comes to Uh, mental illness and anxiety Um, I always assume probably in a very sexist way that women suffer more from social anxiety than men but you also note that suicide rates are much higher for men than for women what generalizations can we make in terms of differences between uh, men and women and boys and girls
1: um Well, firstly, the differences emerge in puberty. So in childhood, um, rates certainly for depression are comparable between um, males and females. And then once puberty hits, you start seeing this big difference and females are more likely to have um, depression and also um, social anxiety disorder. Um, And that persists into adulthood. Why that is, I think it's not straightforward. Often it was like, oh, it's a female hormone thing. But I think also... It's a cultural thing in that women are and females are uh, encouraged and more It's more socially acceptable for, for females to seek help for these problems. So it's very difficult to know what the underlying rates actually are. And then there's all sorts of interesting stuff about whether it's um, kind of sexism uh, that might be making women's yeah, females experience more difficult and that that increases their risk of these problems. Um, and then the very sort of simple theory about why it's it's more likely to be men that that take their own lives is because for all the reasons I just said about help seeking you know if we don't encourage men to come forward when things aren't as serious then then it escalates um to when they're in crisis
0: yeah your, your book isn't cheerful although there are some cheerful bits I think one <laughs> of the saddest uh, one of the saddest sections in the book is your description of a Uh, a speech at a conference by a a man whose son committed suicide the man had lunch with him on the day he committed suicide Um, Mm. and the boy at least at the time seemed fine do you think Mm. uh, had it that been his mother things might have turned out a little better or uh, are, are women better at asking how you are you say that one of the lessons that we need to learn from that is we need to continually ask our children and our friends how they're doing
1: Mm. Uh, I mean I have no idea the the general message um often from um cases of suicide is that 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 people around them who were close to them just have no idea you know I'm not aware of anything like you know that they're that men don't ask or that you know men are less likely to elicit you know confessions of people struggling um so I have no idea um but yeah that was an incredibly powerful um talk you know the whole room was well, the whole room was listening and he's kind of dedicated um, a great deal of time now to improving understanding suicide uh, and mental health problems in university students.
0: So the, the question that everyone's of course wants to know is why how can we explain mental health and you go uh, well, mental illness both mental health mm. and mental illness uh, you have a section on dna you sound you you write within every living being dna is the cookbook for how to make that specific person or creature or plant um genes which are segments of dna are the individual recipes they contain instructions for every aspect of how they function um and, and you go on to talk about genes are some of us more predisposed because of our genes to mental illness than others
1: Yes, so that's what um, most studies have concluded. Now there is a genetic component in that um, we know that from twin and adoption studies. So for example, if, if you um, have depression, you're more and you have an identical twin, then your twin is more likely to have depression as well, compared to if you had a non identical twin. So often, um, these findings are interpreted as um, meaning that genetics are involved. Um, so, yes, predisposed to an extent, although that, that, that doesn't mean that they're a kind of uh, pre-written destiny. It's about a sort of slight increased risk, uh, and we also don't know what genes are involved. We just know that, that there is some genetic component.
0: So, so, if, so, so what you're saying is if there is a lot of mental illness in your family, what would you advise people to do to be uh, more aware of that, to go to their doctor, to talk about it, to get medication?
1: I don't know that's a good question I mean I don't think you'd need to uh, yeah I don't think you'd need to make an assumption that just because for example your parent had depression that that meant you were guaranteed. to well, have. If it you go well. to a
0: doctor and you tell your doctor that you know your parents have died of cancer or every man in your family's died of a heart attack they will take fairly stringent precautions on on the health front you'd think that they would do the same with mental health wouldn't they
1: yeah it's a really good point and I don't think that is happening at all I mean you'd you'd hope that maybe in those families there might be an increased awareness about um I don't know warning signs and um you know how to look after yourself etc but uh no there's not remotely the equivalent in terms of you know I've got a history of breast cancer so I need to go and have extra checks there's that doesn't that doesn't seem to exist in in the mental health world
0: Well, as you say in the book, uh, DNA genes aren't destiny. There's nothing inevitable about it. And the other thing, or one of the other things that can affect uh, mental health, both in a good and a bad way, is environment. You you quote the British poet Philip Larkin, Mm -hmm. um, uh, who famously explained, our parents, whether they intend to or not, can have a negative influence on us. I think Larkin said they fuck us up. Um, Talk briefly about... The role of environment, Lucy, here. Um, particularly parents.
1: Yes, when environment means mental
0: health. You know, ha- we all have uh, or not all of us, but anyone who's ever had a child knows that at some point a child will point their finger at you and accuse you <laughs> of of everything that's gone wrong <laughs> in their life and say it's all your fault.
1: Um yes. Um Parenting is a really interesting one because, yeah, there's various parenting behaviours that can increase um, risk in a child. Um, Obviously, maltreatment and abuse uh, can massively increase uh, risk of mental health problems. That's one of the most kind of established um, risk factors. Um, But on the, you know, moving aside from abuse and maltreatment, there are various Various parenting behaviours that can increase risk, like in terms of parents who kind of repeatedly reject um, or are critical of their child. Um, but the slightly messy thing about parenting is that the people um, who are parenting you also gave you your genes. So it's really hard to tease apart what is parenting and what is um, what is genetic influence um but again it's there's, there's there's no kind of one-to-one relationship there are plenty of people who have uh pretty poor parenting and never a development health problem and um you know people with excellent parenting who do
0: how do you think um being a parent affects mental health has there been a lot of research on whether or not parents uh, are, are mentally um healthier than people who don't have children
1: yeah, it's a good question. I think um, I don't know enough about it to know that. I know there's certainly been lots of um, increasing research into the kind of immediate postnatal period, and also an increasing understanding that the process of becoming a parent can affect fathers as well that have previously kind of been neglected. Um, in terms of on average, do parents enjoy better mental health than uh, non-parents? I don't know. I'd need to investigate that.
0: You say that um, the most useful theory of mental illness you've come across is what you call the network theory of mental disorders. Um, what is that? What is the network theory of mental disorders, Lucy?
1: So it's the idea that there's no kind of one single level of explanation which is useful. So often there tends to be a kind of um, bickering between the people who think it's an environmental cause and the people who think it's a biological cause. Um, And what I liked about this theory was that it's a a uh, uh, recognising that the factors that contribute to your risk of mental illness are like a kind of uh, web of interconnecting symptoms, some environmental, some biological, and they kind of... um, Knock, have a knock-on effect uh, with each other
0: and not only biological um, and cultural but also uh, age-related you have a section on adolescence yes. and you also have a section the inevitable section on social media mm-hmm. uh, talk briefly about uh, adolescence and, and, and social health uh, and social media and these are of course connected because social media or the assumption in broader media is that social media has had a very bad impact on young people's mental uh, health
1: yeah it's really fascinating actually I I wanted a chapter on it because there was so much discussion about the impact of social media pre-pandemic that was the kind of um, public enemy number one I feel like since the pandemic has hit people have kind of forgotten about it and they're worried more now about the impact of the pandemic but yeah my um, viewpoint on social media is that it's not kind of wholly bad for your mental health it's not it's not wholly good for your mental health it depends what you're doing on these phones um it depends i think most importantly who you are anyway what's happening outside your phone so if you're being bullied then social media is going to have a very different um meaning to you it's going to be a very different thing compared to if you're popular at school and you have a lot of friends so it's too simplistic to say social media is doing x and that's what i try and lay out in the book and say you know there's there's It really depends on who you are and what's happening outside your phone, Um, as much as just saying that, you know, social media is is causing some grave problem.
0: Lucy, I complimented the book, uh, Losing Our Minds, What Mental Illness Really Is, because you don't take very strong positions and say, well, mental illness is caused by this or that. But is there anything in particular in the book that you take a strong position on that um, that 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 other experts might disagree with you on?
1: Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like the whole topic, there is no straightforward answer on any of it. And I don't, I don't believe I can take a strong position. And that's exactly why I wanted to write the book, because I, I don't think it is straightforward and it's tempting to. But you're an expert. I mean you're, a,
0: a, I mean, you're not someone who's just stumbled on this. You're not a journalist. You've spent your career studying this stuff
1: yeah so that so that's what my expert conclusion is. I don't you know I, my I think the less expert viewpoint is to say, you know social media is harmful for mental health or social media doesn't cause a problem at all. So I think actually my yeah, my the more I read, the more uh, nuanced my viewpoint becomes and, and I yeah, I, I kind of resist the idea of taking a strong viewpoint. I guess I guess the thing I feel most strongly about is that. We need to accept that it's complicated that it's a spectrum um, that these these you know mental disorders aren't entities that exist in the real world they're things that we've we've named and we keep changing the boundaries around them. I feel very strongly that that that's key to understanding the whole thing but that's about as far as it goes right. <laughs> it does. Well,
0: because you know a million times more about this. But the the one area that I feel strongly about is um, historicizing anxiety. You have a couple of quotes from other people um, in the book about the impact of 9-11 and the 2008 financial crisis and the housing market collapse and the subsequent recession. Um, uh, They were children when Lehman Brothers collapsed and the Great Recession followed. Uh, You and I are of different generations, but in your book, you talk about the terrible, tragic bombing in London where 60 people lost their lives. Uh, I grew up in the in the 70s, which were incredibly turbulent strikes, power cuts, cultural, political, civil war. I don't buy the idea of the early 21st century being any more turbulent, any more anxiety creating than any other time in history. What's your take on that?
1: I completely agree. And that's what's so interesting, because if you, you yeah, read in the media now, it seems like we're in this sort of, um, yeah, freshly turbulent, traumatic time. But if you think, you know, pick any generation, basically, there were sort of legitimate things that were happening then that you could say, that's the reason why, uh, you know, that was the most stress, stressful time to grow up. Um, it's, it's an appealing narrative, for some reason, that everyone likes to think that they're in the generation that's, that's had it harder than anyone else ever has or ever will. I mean,
0: 9-11, I mean, obviously, if you were in one of the buildings, it's a catastrophe. But for most of us, it was a, a rather entertaining media event. And even the same is true of COVID. I mean, lots of people have died, but most people haven't.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point about COVID. Again, there's, there's a sort of enticing narrative that we're, um, you know, we're in a sort of collective crisis. Um, plenty of people's mental health has not changed or has even improved. And it's like a dirty secret that people don't want to admit. Someone said to me that they've been like, they've actually quite enjoyed lockdown. And they said to me, it said, um, it feels like survivor's guilt. You can't admit it. It's it's like the only acceptable thing to say is that, of course, everyone must be in crisis. And it's just, it's not the case. It's just for some reason that's deeply, um, appealing to to talk about uh, trauma and crisis in a way that it's not appealing to say that we're actually okay, a lot of us.
0: You write very sympathetically about therapy. You say therapy when you find the right person is a strange and wonderful thing, the most intimate, non-intimate relationship you will ever have. We live in a a therapeutic culture. Uh, I know from my own kids that therapy when i was growing up it was unimaginable i don't know if any of the people i knew had it but they never talked about it now it's all these kids ever talk about if you're not doing therapy you're considered weird Um, are you concerned i mean is that firstly is that fair or am i generalizing something that i don't know anything about and secondly should we be in any way concerned about such a therapeutic culture
1: Yeah I mean I think yeah more people are having therapy now than they were in the past and certainly in parallel people who have it talk about it now and they didn't in the past. Um, I would only be concerned about it if it if it meant people no longer felt able to take ownership over their own um, problems that they that they can take ownership of you know if, if you feel like sort of disabled by the idea that that only a therapist can help you through any sort of Emotional difficulty. I suppose that would be a bad thing. Um, beyond that, I think it's just a really um, helpful thing that a lot of people would benefit from. Actually, not not even just people with mental health problems. You know, people who are going through a divorce or, or grieving, for example. I think is is a powerful thing. Um, but yeah, it's a huge cultural shift. Um, you know, within within a generation.
0: Your story ends well. Um, you end the book with your own mental health. You say, I'm back in the apartment now, the apartment where you had um, in 2008, your, uh, your, your crisis. Uh, like some ghost of summer's past, I can see my 20-year-old self, my friends around me trying to help, and I wish I could speak to her, to that girl, to me, which in a sense I think you do in this book.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, in terms of confronting mental illness, um, you talk, of course, about therapy. You also talk about the value of exercise and of sleep. Mm. Uh, talk about exercise, th- sleep and therapy. In a sense, you've, you've come up with a, uh, a network theory of, um, of mental health. Is that fair?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, a network of solutions, um, some of which will work better for um, some people than others. Uh, some people, none of this will work. And I, I, I think it's, yeah, it's a misleading message to suggest to everyone that the solution is just to, you know, get a good night's sleep. And, you know, some people are just too unwell to exercise, for example. Um, but but I, do, I am also an advocate of, um, yeah, fairly basic things and looking after your body. Um actually have a have a huge impact um on how you feel psychologically.
0: Uh a few months ago we had Roy Richard Grinker, you probably know his book, uh, Nobody's Normal, How Culture Created the Stigma of Mental Illness.
1: Should um we give I'm aware up? of it. if not
0: uh it's an interesting book. Um yeah. should we give up the word uh normal? Uh, at one point in the book uh you say uh language matters are words like normal not normal worthless should we do away with them
1: uh it's funny i actually don't think i ever use that word because um of the sort of connotations of anyone you're excluding being abnormal um in the sort of psychology world we would say typical like typically developing for example uh so i actually tend to not use that word at all um but yeah you broadly the big question is, what is is normal, what is common? I mean, just like, for example, if everyone experiences a mental health, a mental illness in their lifetime, does that mean that having a mental illness is normal? Uh, Some people say that if it's that common, then we need to readjust the boundaries of what mental illness is, because by definition, it shouldn't be what's experienced by most people. Who knows
0: what that word means? I I, I tend to avoid using it. Well, well, I'm going to use it, Lucy. Abnormal. uh, Your book, uh, Losing Our Minds, What Mental Illness Really Is, is abnormally good for anyone who wants not just an introduction, but a serious academic, but also lucid, coherent, very readable introduction. Congratulations in the book. Um, uh, I I know it's... um, it's out in the UK. It's about, when's it coming out in the US?
1: January. I'm not sure the exact date, but yeah, January
0: next year. Well, American readers perhaps can order it from Amazon UK or get it online, but okay. it will be in American bookstores uh, in January of next year. Uh, as I said, an excellent book, Losing Our Minds, what, Melne- what Mental Illness Really Is. It doesn't take any particular position, which I think is its strength. Uh, Lucy, you are in Walthamstow in northeast nice. London at the moment. Nice. Uh, most famous, I think, for being the birthplace of the England captain, Harry Kane, uh, in this post-COVID period, where we're not quite sure whether we're going out. In addition to your new book, um, I was going to say Nobody's Normal, it's called Losing Our Minds. What else should people be reading?
1: Um- I don't I don't read that much, which is really bad. I tend to, um, yeah, find a lot. I find it real, really difficult to find books that I like. Um, but there were a couple I was going to mention. Um, one that I read recently, and I, I wish I had read it before writing the book because I think it, uh, you know, I would have quoted it a few times. Which is um, Russ Harris, The Happiness Trap, which I have here. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Oops. Um, which is, is about... happiness?
0: Does he say happiness is a trap?
1: Yeah, so he says that our sort of relentless pursuit of trying to be um, happy and positive all the time is not how humans were designed to be. And actually, the the pursuit of it can can backfire and and make us more unhappy. And it's based on acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a a relatively new type of cognitive therapy. And it's all about um, accepting that negative emotions exist they're part of being alive they're part of having a meaningful life um and there are ways of living alongside them that that aren't about trying to uh fight them or you know worry that there's something wrong with you for experiencing them and i and i just i'm i'm so on board with it as a concept i wish we we talked about it more i think and it's extremely readable and and straightforward
0: wow lucy folks keep healthy, keep exercising, get <laughs> up sleep, get off social media. Thanks. Don't try to be too happy. Uh, congratulations on the book.
1: Thank Continue you. you are
0: doing your excellent work. We'll have you back on again. I'm sure you will write a lot more about this all too important subject in the future. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, Andrew. Thank you.